Hey guys, it's Brian. It is, uh, as I record this, it's 8.15 in the morning on uh, Thursday, March 1st. We'll have a, a brand new show um, on March 2nd, but I wanted to get this out. Um, I woke up uh, this morning to the news that uh, Barry Crimmins has passed away. And um, I wanted to, originally when uh, Barry had visited us uh, in February of 2016, uh, he spent an hour and a half with us and we divided up over two shows. I wanted to make sure this interview was available all, all in one place. And, uh, uh, he spent, as I just said, an hour and a half with us and didn't have to do that. And if there's a guy on the planet who has every right in the world to be a dick, it was Barry Crimmins. And he just wasn't, he was just a sweet guy. He, he was a voice for people without a voice. He fought uh, for a lot of causes um, that obviously were near and dear to him. He visited us at the height of the the, the Call Me Lucky movie um, that um, his friend uh, Bobcat Goldthwait directed. It's a great movie. If you have a chance to see it, please see it. But um, this is the complete interview with Barry Crimmins. I wanted to make sure this got out all in one piece. So enjoy and uh, safe home, Barry. Thanks for spending so much time with us. And uh, we'll see you guys with a brand new show tomorrow. We're concerned about oil. What we should stop doing is using so much oil. That's what we can control. We should tell our leaders that we want cheap public transportation and we want it now. We should tell our leaders that they should bring those troops home from the Middle East and tell them to start building railroads. We have to stop being in separate cars and in traffic jams where we become suspicious of one another. We should all get in the same railroad cars together because, brothers and sisters, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome back Comedy's own podcast. The voice you heard there, if you don't know it, is Mr. Barry Crimmins. We've got Barry Crimmins in the house today. How you doing, Barry? Thanks for having me. And when you hear that uh, video clip, what, what does that take you back to? I did no good 26 years ago. <laughs> That's basically it. We're still in cars. I followed you the other night in a car mm-hmm. from the Comedy Zone in Charlotte to my hotel. Mm-hmm. And you're driving about 55 miles an hour in a 25. <laughs> and I just stayed after you. I stayed close to you, because I, not because I wanted to get to the hotel, but because I wanted to videotape what the cops were going to do to you. <laughs> over 50 miles an hour is shooting. You know, you, I understand they can shoot. You're black, and you can be shot at uh, over 50 miles an this hour. This is true. I, just, I wanted the footage of it. <laughs> well, I blame, I blame Shoemaker for that, because yeah. he, he criticized me for driving too slow all the way back from Macon, Georgia. Oh, uh, okay. And then so I... I Maybe subconsciously I put the yeah okay. Well, I was I was worried. I'm just keeping up to just get the video. I appreciate you yeah, looking out yeah, for me, right, man. Right. Or else being able to go viral. You know? <laughs> well, I that listening to that video clip, it's amazing how much of that is still relevant today, and you know how many of those same themes and issues that you were addressing at that time are, you know, it, it might as well have been today. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Well, I I mean. And unfortunately now, and people aren't going to like this, but the unfortunately the gas prices are so low, people are burning that much more. But now we're catching on to what the you know, I mean they just said today that the you know the oceans are are rising at the fastest rate they've risen in ninety eight centuries or some right. horrible thing you know, um, 
And so encouraging everybody to go out, you know, I mean, like every insurance salesman in the country has a F-150 extended cab. Like for what? Right. You know, you got a lot of policies there. They're all digital. You know, like <laughs> what do you need a, a pickup truck for? I, I mean, I, I have a, I live out in the sticks. I need a pickup truck. And I don't have one because they're so expensive. Because all the insurance salesmen bought them, and the frat boys. You want the you want the cake holder package with that? You know. <laughs> yeah. And you see the all-terrain vehicles riding down right. the city. Oh streets, yeah, right. Like, like, Treacherously dry and straight roads. You know, like of course they had no chance. Right, right. I mean, it's all that sort of excess stuff that the environment pays for. Yes. So and now with your political commentary, and a mass social- transit, not mass murder. That's my point. Right. Uh, now you now has that always been a part of your your comedy? Or? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was always topical. Maybe it started a little bit by mistake because we would do a show that show where Bobcat Goldthwait and Tommy Kenny SpongeBob came in. So um, two of my two guys I kind of discovered or found me, and um, uh, that show. I mean, we had the same crowd every week. And so I just felt like you had to write new stuff every week. So I got relatively topical. And now, but, you know, I learned over the years that even though what I say hopefully is timely, it's not so much just responding to the talking points because they still, you can be topical and still be forced to color within the lines. And I, you know, I try not to do that when they try to tell you a rule. I, you know, when everybody agrees with that, that's where, you know, I learned that from Mark Twain, just disagree at that, figure out why you disagree. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, that makes perfect sense. This is idiotic. Yeah. You talk about, especially in the film, uh, call me lucky for yep. those who haven't seen it. Go to Netflix. Directed by my buddy Bobcat Bob Goldthwait. Yeah, and that it should have been called. Thank God I was nice to that kid. <laughs> <laughs> he did a fantastic job. I He's mean, we, a great we talked filmmaker. about it a little bit earlier. Yeah. And so, but when you you you're coming into your own as as a in, in comedy as a writer, yeah. you talk about how Mark Twain was a big. Big influence, yeah, you. yeah. Just in terms of turns of phrase, or in terms. Well, of- I mean, yeah, respect for the language. Use the right word, not its second cousin, as he said in uh, Fenimore Cooper's Literary Offenses. Um, uh, but also, just sort of don't go along with the conventional wisdom. Think for yourself and take things apart, and and then you know have the courage to be kind. Twain wrote about the secret kindness of people, and if you can really get to that part in them, you can sort of disarm the stuff that they get sold that really leads us off a lot of metaphorical cliffs. It's mm-hmm. literally some real ones. Right. I, it's funny because I've never heard a comedian talk about when you when you talk to someone about their influences, they always talk about comics. Yeah, right. And that's, so that's pretty interesting that that well, was... Well, I mean, you got to realize how old I am. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jack Benny influenced me. Uh, you know, the Smothers Brothers. There's, there's a lot of great comics, Carlin and Lenny Bruce. And they all influenced me. But really, the shaping of my brain was picking up uh, Twain and starting to read his essays and, you know, as a kid, and, you know, I mean, I read this thing, Advice to You, think, oh, what's this blowhard saying? And then he says, you know, always, always obey your parents when they are present. <laughs> and, and, you know, immediately, this, I'm laughing out loud in the library reading this guy. And I go, wow, this guy's pretty cool. And then I just, you know, moved along. I, if anyone hasn't read Twain, I would say start with the essays and the shorter stuff. And then get a hold of some. I think one of the things that happens to Twain in particular is they, they make kids read Huckleberry Finn, which is written in about 37 different dialects, because it was Twain actually doing oral history. 
before there were tape recorders. And so the matter-of-fact brutality with which people spoke about the slaves and, and, and children is really reflected in that, and he captured it. He really did it, if you look at it that way. But instead, it's like, oh, they, they seize on, you know, this is the language. Yeah, he's indicting them for the language. He's right. not endorsing the language. Right. Yeah, and it's amazing that way because I was an English major in college. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we used to dig through a lot of these texts. Yeah. And, and it it always struck me how almost anything can become normalized. Yeah, yeah. You know, I you know whether I always talk about the, the new normal. And that can be, you know, whether it's well, Trump's running for president. Right. <laughs> Perfect. All, all, all of a sudden, people talk matter of factly yeah. about. By Muslims the way, his and, new plan is to have the Pentagon develop a mushroom cloud in the shape of a T. <laughs> so don't worry about that. <laughs> now this now now Trump. Do you think this is just a soup of the month thing, or do you think it's been a long month? <laughs> it's been a long. <laughs> is it starting to? I mean, here, here's, well, here's the thing about him. Is these people, almost everybody you talk to, well, I didn't like when he said this or when he did that. I didn't like this or that. And basically people are saying, well, you know, he does all this nutty stuff, but there's no consequences for it. Right. Well, you know, allowing someone, handing someone the keys to the nuclear arsenal, you say, oh, by the way, there's no consequences for anything you do is not my idea of a good plan. Not a good plan. Okay. Right. And, and, and he's, just, he's just a bull. And he doesn't say anything. Oh, it's going to be so great and, oh, unbelievable, and everybody loves me, and they, oh, they're great there, and they love me here, and I'm going to make the best deals. I got a plan to torture people. You, I can't tell you about it yet, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to play these speeches for them until they can't take it anymore. Uh <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say a damn thing. Like, what did he say? Nothing. You know, oh, we got to get tough. We got to get, we're going to win again. Win what? When's the game? I didn't even see the game was scheduled. Win? We're going to win? Shut up. You never even got handed a jersey, Trump. I can look at you and know you never played a minute of varsity anything in your life. Shut up. You're just, you you know, you're the heir to a fortune built by your grandfather who was a pimp and your father who was a racist slumlord, and it goes from there. And you're going to be president of the United States with your temper and your ego and your crap with your finger near the button no thank you no thank you stop this god so they know the only thing good about him is he's not crazy like cruz <laughs> hold on so then so then, but no, then poor cruz i mean he got ruined in south carolina because those those right wing i mean sorry those liberal republicans in south carolina finished him he would have finished second if it weren't for all those liberals in south carolina so is the issue these guys or a system that allows for this and a system that's exactly that it. there's an audience for well, this and, and this is and this is it and this is why i do like bernie because First off, we have these elections and we talk about leaders all the time. Well, it's an insult to me to tell me I need a leader, okay? I'm not a moron. I don't need a leader. This yeah, black is an, folks deal with that a lot. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Everybody's You're getting a lot of them from Hillary Clinton right now. <laughs> I don't need a – exactly. I'm no, I don't need a leader. I know how to get to the museum on my own. This isn't a field trip. You know, I know how to go to the, I like the museum, so I'm actually sort of in a different group. I don't need to be led around. I need someone who's responsive to my informed, uh, desi- you know, uh, demands. And, and so, uh, you know, what I like about Sanders is he's taken on the system and saying the system is rickety and dangerous and c- collapsing on itself, which it's going to do. You know, which it's going to do unless we do something about it. One way or the other, this thing won't, because you just can't be as top-heavy 
as we are. And these people, oh, well, we need somebody like Trump to fix our economy. You want a billionaire to fix our economy? Hey, I got some news for you, pal. Billionaires have already fixed our economy right. just as much as it can be fixed. And Sanders almost strikes me as a guy where if you if you walked up and told him uh, you won't be president, but a lot of the things that you want will happen, he'd take that deal. Well, I mean, Hillary I mean, strikes me as somebody... Sometimes I listen to her and I'm like, well, it's she like wants a, to be president. It's like her. It's, 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 she's like, I don't know. Is she from one of those soccer leagues you're not allowed to score in? You know, like it's not your turn to be president, Hillary. And by the way, don't give me the feminist stuff because you couldn't be more with a patriarchy if you try. You're a hawk. You're pro big business. You're pro all. You know, you're pro. You're pro a bunch of people who really have inflicted themselves upon women and the matriarchy and and are opposed to the matriarchy and sort of the way they might do things. So don't tell me that you're because I mean for a long time now I've said it's Mother Earth or Fatherland. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think anyone who uses of the term fatherland should have to wear lederhosen but that's a different point uh, but mother mother earth though you know and 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 i think bernie's closer to mother earth than 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 hillary is and plus the i just can't take the yelling from her she does everything yeah. she does is yelling and i'm not saying that it's some sexist thing it's because i know plenty of women who are great public speakers but she sounds like a deranged kindergarten if you don't sit on your blanket there's going to be no chocolate milk for anyone <laughs> because we're using nazi style punishment in this can no and it's just like someone should just tell hillary the reason you don't have to yell all the time is because they invented the microphone <laughs> So, so that so I want to I want to rewind a little bit because I don't want to finish this interview without you know touching on some other things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, your your background growing up, Scanalis, Scaniatlas, Scaniat, Scaniatlas, S K A N E A T E L E S. You can spell that. You get into second grade. Oh, because I because I've been go, I've been thinking Schenectady, Schenectady, Scan- no, Scaniatlas. It's an Indian word that means beautiful lake surrounded by fascists. <laughs> And uh, that's where I'm from. I, the odds of a left-wing political satirist coming out of that town. It's like a permanent staging area for the Republican convention. You know? <laughs> so you, you grew up there, Catholic upbringing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Catholic, yeah. Uh, Catholic upbringing. It, it's we, in remission. It's in remission. Yeah. Every day on Twitter, I'd see. Is it every day that you do this? I you tweet ask the Pope every day to demand excommunication, basically because excommunication is the big threat the church puts on oh we will send you to hell and it's like listen i already been to i'll know i'm in hell if there's popes and bishops and 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 priests there i've been through that and i know what you've done to children i know the cover-up i know the story i know what's going on and in fact if trump had any guts he would have when when he got into with the pope he would have said the following thing you know what? When I become president, there's going to be a federal investigation using the RICO statutes of the crime wave against children throughout this nation for decades and decades that was committed by the Catholic Church and then the cover-up of it and so on and so forth and the financial misdealings. Like, they, they you know, they dole in the, 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 the uh, cardinal from New York who was archbishop of New York, and then he, before that he was bishop in, in Milwaukee. There was this... Uh, School up there for deaf boys, a Catholic school. They were and there was horrible, you know, sexual abuse of the boys, you know, because I mean, who's more vulnerable than a kid who can't talk? And mm-hmm. so, uh, um, anyway, they lose the case. They are adults. The guys come forward. They sue the church. They they win a big settlement. And Dolan 
communication with the Vatican tells them, I'm going to hide this, I'll get rid of the money, we'll declare bankruptcy. He hides the money literally, it's not, you couldn't make this up, in a burial fund, in a burial fund for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. He hides the money there. If you caught the CEO of GE pulling that crap, because when you get a, when you get a, when you, when you get a, you know, when they sanction, when they say, oh, you owe this much money, and then you get caught hiding money in the real world, you're in a lot of trouble. In the Catholic world, they make you the cardinal of New York. They make you the cardinal of the biggest diocese in the country and, and to some extent walking point for the church in this country. So that's your choice. That's what the story is. Acts communicate me. And politicians, if you got any guts and you really care about these children you're always talking about, I want an investigation of this crime wave and, and this criminal organization that is covered up uh, covered up uh, of the you know the the absolute rape mistreatment of children forever, and that's not even getting into the misogyny and the and the and the homophobia and everything else. Now, that's now why do you think the there isn't the will collectively to do because that? Because they're very powerful. Because they they got friends on every editorial board and every major newspaper and every TV station. I mean, they're very powerful. When the bishop shows up, everybody gets, oh, the bishop is here. Even though you read what he has to say, and he's just like, you know, I mean, he's got about as much to do with Jesus as I have to do with a Boston Red Sox fan. That's a, <laughs> actually, I get a lot Yankees of, fan, ladies I'm, and gentlemen. I'm Listen closer with the Red Sox fans, actually, <laughs> come to think of it. But uh, I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, now, what what originally drew you to comedy? I mean, how I had to turn several years of being a screw up into research. <laughs> yeah, I ask that question a lot. You know, yeah, I got an answer. What do you that know? Is. Okay, move along. <laughs> so, so. Hey, would anyone like an Altoid? Curiously refreshing. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, here we yeah, go. We're going to take a little break here. This portion of the show is brought to you by Altoids, <laughs> even though they didn't give us any money. Why? Because I support Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and eventually, now, you left New York and headed to yes. Boston, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what age you were when you did that? Uh, yeah, I was like 24. Why Boston? Because... My father was in the VA hospital in Martinsburg, West Virginia. I was hitchhiked. I hitchhiked down. He was in bad shape. Saw him through. They pulled through. And I was going to hitchhike to New York City to do a show. Guy picks me up. It's raining like hell. He's going he, he's gonna to circumvent New York. He says, well, I'll drop you out in Jersey. It's, it's raining, as they say, up in the country where I'm from. Pitchforks and hammer handles. You know, it is coming down. And so the guy says, but I'll give you a ride to Boston. And I go, screw it. Boston's in the American League. I'll give that a shot. <laughs> and that's how, and that's Literally. sort of, and, and you know, uh, that was Memorial Day weekend and the Ding Ho officially opened on October 3rd. So What year was that? 79. 70, oh, I was born in 79. <laughs> <laughs> Two amazing things happened that year. That's right. Uh, yeah, so, so then. Where did you put my walker? I, so, so you get there and you say, you know what? I want to open a comedy club. Was this just so you just saw there wasn't I, I, much I, happening? Or I, what? Well, I saw there was a lot of talent and there wasn't a lot of stage time. And basically, I'd been around the country and I'd noticed that comics were treated like crap everywhere. You know, I mean, they really were. That's why I like this club. They come here, they come here, and they like, what do you need? How do you feel? What can we do? You know. And so someone, when, you know, you want people walking on your stage, you feel like they're somebody. Well, I've been around the country where you stand in line for everybody and you're treated like crap and that you're lucky to be out there and you better show them something right then rather than, hey, have a good time 
You know, this isn't life and death. It's comedy. You know, everybody, it'd be good nights and bad nights and whatever, but let's just figure out what's what. So I just treated the comics well. And I did this other thing that was crazy. I paid them. You know, I know, it's, and it's an idea that's being lost again. <laughs> but I paid them and treated them well. And, you know, and out of it comes all these tremendous comics. But, I mean, they were tremendous to start with. Right. So we're talking Stephen Wright. We're talking Bobcat. We're talking... Oh, Paul Poundstone, uh, Kevin Meany, uh, some other I mean, great acts like Jack Gallagher, who played the uh, uh, doctor on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. just a hilarious guy, who now is in Sacramento doing his own one-man shows regularly that are brilliant at this theater. God, I'm, I mean, I leave out so many people. All these great other people would come through, Rich Scheidner, uh, Carol Leifer, uh, um God, uh, Kevin Rooney, um, Kevin Nealon, blah, blah, blah. You know, so the shows were were just amazing. Uh, Joe Alasky, who we just lost, who went on to basically replace Mel Blanc at Warner, Warner Brothers, uh, was uh, one of our original ding-ho headliners and just tremendous and wonderful guy and terrible news that we lost him. And, and it's my understanding from watching the film that one of your biggest, maybe only real requirement was originality. Yeah. That was a big thing for you yeah. with the comics. Yeah. It was almost like a tough love. That's the Well, sense I, I mean, and it. it was also like, so I, I tried not to book the nice guy, but, you know, nice guy, but he's not that funny. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's like, look, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, this person can be a brick if they're funny, you know, <laughs> like if they're good at, I mean, an original. Well, mm-hmm. you know, um, but that's it. I don't know why that makes him think, of course, Lenny Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all were really tight, friend. right? Oh, yeah, we're good friends. Oh, to this day you are? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we, I don't know why we don't blow up when we run into each other. It's a <laughs> <laughs> so neutron hitting the proton right there. <laughs> now, what, what effect, because you talk in, in the film, too, about the cocaine and, and widespread use of it in the effect. Oh, I'm, and my friend Tim Walker, who's a great comic from Chicago, says I... I never liked cocaine because I didn't want to stay up late and complain about my little league coach, <laughs> and I thought that was great. Uh, you know, and I, I just, I mean, someone else said, someone funnier than me said, cocaine is the drug for people who hate hippies, and I'm a hippie, you know. So, <laughs> so I just, now, yeah, I'm. Well, I mean, if I just didn't, I didn't like, and it really did kind of. That was what sowed the seeds of at least the demise of the early days of Boston comedy was the cocaine, and I. You know, I've been working really hard at the at the thing, and you know, hundred hour weeks, and doing. And then I, I literally wasn't drawing a paycheck just so I could pay everybody whatever came in the door, and and I would go around and do gigs to make enough money to pay my rent or whatever, and then we were paid, and, and then my pay was considered the party that we had at the thing, oh, it's because no comic ever paid for a drink there, you know, and, and they had a couple um, <laughs> until let's say a little after closing time, but very close to opening. Um, <laughs> uh, it was almost legal when we left most days, um, but you know they were doing. I'm 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 going over to the ding one day. I think it's in the movie. I'm going over to the ding one day. A cab driver. I just did a set. And, uh, three sets in town at, at, at the Comedy Connection, and and I flagged down a camera guy in Ding Ho, 13 Springfield Street. And go, oh, you're going to score some blow? Wow! And it just like, and I went, I I I left. I just quit uh, production there, you know, the next day, and went over, and then I went over and 
work with the Don Law organization, which was Tea Party Productions, now part become part of Live Nation, but Tea Party Productions, which is the big uh, concert promoters, and they used to book me, and that's that was the start of another portion when we started Stitches. But that was another portion of my career. I they started booking me to open for musical Probably, acts, right. and, and and I did well. So I mean, I ended up doing a particular Warren Zevon like me. I did a bunch of dates with him, whatever, and then I end up because uh, of Goldthwait. They they asked Goldthwait to do a show with Jackson. Ryan. I said, "Down like you know, I'm not available. Plus, you want politics? Get this guy." They checked me out. I'm supposed to do a couple shows with them on the East Coast, and and after a couple shows, they asked me to do the whole national tour. And then I toured with Billy Bragg, and I've done dates with you know all sorts of other people one of the greatest stories of my career was one night we're playing san diego and some guy sets me up for my like hit joke he doesn't even know it he yells at me from the audience if you don't love this country why don't you get out of it i said because i don't want to be victimized by its foreign policy and and the place and came out oh and, and the, yeah yeah and the place i mean it was like a plant who wasn't a plant you know who was a vegetable <laughs> and 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 the place just fall, you know, it's a big place, U.S. Grand Theater, big place, the wave, the laughter rolls back and forth and back, and then round of applause, and, and it's it's embarrassing how well, the response I get, so I look over to the side to just, it, like, really out of humility, like, okay, and it's enough, you know, and I look over, and there's Jackson Brown, Bonnie Raitt, Chris Christopherson, David Crosby, Graham Nash, Danny O'Keefe, uh, the rest of Jackson, all going, yeah, because they have been waiting for someone to come up with that line, with a line forever, like that. Right. forever. And it's like, you know, half the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is over there. It's just like, okay, I'm done now. I don't have to do anything else. And that was 1988. So. Wow. Wow. I mean, that, that line is good to this day. That's well, pretty, oh, oh, you, yeah. you don't love America, then why are you there? Yeah, yeah. Like, Victimized by its foreign policy. <laughs> Simple. That's what, and that's and believe me, a lot of these illegal aliens they talk about are fleeing our foreign policy. Right. You know. Right. And so at that at that time, then was there a part of you that fell out of love with aspects of comedy because of the drug use and some or? Well, I mean, you know, first up, it was hard. I, I only produced show, you know. I mean, I wasn't the guy who owned the you know, who owned the Marshall Columns who got to play shitty bass in the band. You know, I was the, you know, I actually could play. You know, I mean, I was an actual comic. There's a lot of people who are comedy, you know, they're, they're the production end of things that they call themselves comics and they kind of leverage themselves into other gigs. Oh yeah, that, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and I oh, yeah. and I really one thing I didn't want and like once in a while someone would say something like that and I'd be like, excuse me, what are you talking? You know, like first off, I'm funnier than you fucking are you know and uh <laughs> but uh you know i did i got tired of having people who weren't quite as smart as me trying to manipulate me they would call me up on the phone and go hey barry how are you yeah hey i see uh wow george mcgovern said so i know you like george mcgovern yeah i do Hey, Cirque, you swung in basketball, didn't they? Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they, oh, yeah, that's good, yeah. Do you have your book there? Do you have your calendar there? Yeah, I got my calendar here. Do you have one there? Yes. And is your number still XXXXXXXX? Yes. Uh, well, good. I'll call it when I want to put something in your book. <laughs> I will call it when I want to put a date in your book, okay? I mean, like this big waste of time, fill in the blanks, crap. And, what, and then these people, and I also didn't like people not liking me because it's just a judgment. You know, I mean, it's just an artistic judgment about who I booked at the show or whatever. But I would throw my calendar at people, and there's Stephen Wright and Paula Poundstone and Mike Don, these great acts. And I would throw them 
you know, the calendar and go, who are you replacing on this list? Joe Alasky. I mean, you name it. And, uh, and who, who am I going to tell to stay home for you in your seven minutes? You know, a rather predictable, you know, why do women go to the bathroom in Paris? I'm pretty sure it's because they get hassled by drunk men. Now could you write a fucking act? You know, it's much easier to feign conversation with one another than it is to deal with the giant man at the bar going, hey, baby, la, 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 la. And don't ask me why foreigners drive cabs and work at convenience stores. Is are entry-level jobs. The same reason your great-grandparents built the railroads, shithead. Shut up. Write an act. Write a fucking act. Yeah. You didn't suffer fools lightly. Well, not yeah, not. <laughs> well, you know, I've suffered for a while, and then when and then when I finally let out the death croaks, they weren't pleasant. <laughs> now, I noticed too watching watching you on stage and, and a lot of your earlier clips, yeah. you didn't seem to be all that concerned with adulation or no, the no, crowd. No. Oh, because a lot of comics and oh, me yeah. included sometimes, yeah. I, you know, you go up there and you want to be liked. And you don't, you've never seen. To well, care I mean, back that. in those days, I didn't like myself, so there's nothing anybody else because I hadn't mm. dealt with my childhood stuff. Mm. But, you know, now, I mean, I'd like to be liked, but I have no problem standing there when they're not getting something for a minute and just like waiting it out and going, like, that's okay. You know, there's three I, branches I, of I, Yeah, that's there, the right? Mark Marin joke. Mark <laughs> Marin remembers seeing me do that, but I would say that once in a while, the audience is really dense. I go, like, how far back do we have to go? Okay, there's three branches of government. <laughs> <laughs> and start with the civics lesson. Now, the, now the first time you talked about uh, your abuse as a child was on stage. Is that because the well, movie I sort mean, of makes yeah. it look that way? Well, yeah, the first time I talked publicly, about publicly it was on I mean, stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it was because I had just come from L.A. I'd been writing Dennis Miller show. That's another story. And and uh, and I came from L.A. because I kind of had breakthrough and knew I had to deal with my issues. And it was right when the insurrection after Rodney King happened. Mm. And everybody's blaming these kids. Mm -hmm. And I just decided to come out, and I did a benefit for the Southern Poverty Law Center. I wanted to do something. Oh. And Morris D is a wonderful organization. And, and I, I just knew, and it just came to me when I got to the gig. Well, I'm gonna, I know what I got to say here, and that's, you know, people, people, are always ready to prosecute kids as adults, but never anybody wants to prosecute what adults do to kids. Mm. And those kids in you know South Central, they grow up right next to them, and they're up on the hills, everybody's riding by on Bentleys and shiny things and whatever, and the richest people in the world are near them, and, uh, you know, living it up, and there they are. So it's like, well, you know, why not sling a little? Or whatever whatever it is. Or, or, you know, or, gee, you know, hey, someone kicked in the door to the store where they sell those sneakers I want that cost $110 20 years ago, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get some, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, where does that come from? Getting some kind and that's what I've, I've learned. There's sanity at the source. Behavior that you don't quite understand. If you get some context for the person, if you, if you take the time to consider what the lives of those kids were like, where they just realized that the baddest gang in town wears blue and it's not the Crips. Right. You know, and when you understand that explosion that happened a little more, maybe you think in context, and you understand that well, all, everything they've known and, and the hopelessness and the fact that going to school every day is a paramilitary operation, right. the crap these kids go through, right. you know, and, and to see that there's an explosion, what's shocking is it didn't come sooner, that it had to be this obvious an insult to the community. And, and so I said, and, and, you know, people don't understand what happens to kids, but I understand a little something about what happens to kids. And then I told my 
my story. Wow. Yeah. So when you came on to stage that night, did you know you were going to go in that direction? I had, had the, I had the sort of notes in my head, but I didn't, uh, you know. Okay. But I hosted, so right. it was towards the end. But Steve Sweeney said, well, I want to close the show. And I go, I don't think you want to close this one, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Another great Boston actor and a great actor. I don't think you want to close this one. Oh, no, and he did. <laughs> and, and funny, the Herald, the Boston Herald, who got it right, really wrote a great piece about, you know, you know that that's featured in the movie. And the, and the Globe review was, oh, poor Steve Sweeney. It's like, I don't know if you heard what I said what happened to me. I mean, I know that's kind of a tough night for a comic, but I, you know, I had kind of a tough period as a child. I mean. Yeah. Do you remember the audience's response? Was it? Uh, it was. It was shock or what? It was like the. It was the first verse of "Springtime for Hitler," you know. That's <laughs> 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 yeah, what it was, you know. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that frozen, and then you know whatever. But I know I still managed to get a few laughs along the way, you know, because wow. that's what I I do. And now now. And so then I had to learn. I went out and started doing a lot of child abuse in my comedy shows. And that was, you know, it's funny because I used to do, you know, death squads and this and that. And, like, they were tough enough issues. Now I would go back to these things that they didn't laugh so much at before. And you switch back to death squads and they're laughing like, ah, <laughs> you know, whoa, laughing like Ricky Ricardo on, this, mm-hmm. on the laugh track. And I love, ah, <laughs> over death squads because at least you're not talking about kids getting raped. But um, now I've, you know, in particular with the movie and whatever, and in experience, I know how to integrate the issues and get the point out that the, the, the important thing is to break silence. Now, we were just on a great radio show, and they were very nice, but as we're driving over here, we're listening to them, and they kept talking about it. It was really great, mm-hmm. except they said this one thing that always bothers me. Well, Barry admitted he was raped. It's not an admission. Yeah, no, no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't admit. Any, I disclosed. I testified. I didn't admit. You know, guilty people admit things. I right. was guilty of being four years old. Yeah. Know? Part yeah. of it is part of it is the way we discuss these and things. And that and that creates cover for the complicity that they try to imply on the uh, impose on the kids. Right. If you, if I'm admitting something, I'm in on something. You know, that's yeah. And I mean, with a lot of things, admitting you're gay or right. Admitting, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You know, Disclosure gay. You don't admit you. Yeah, right. Right. So that's, you know, and I remember we were sitting outside, myself, you, and Craig Shoemaker. Yeah. And just watching you all talk about that. Because he, he, I interviewed him uh, for the podcast on the car ride up, and he touched on that a little bit too. Well, uh, he's got a lot to say. And it was amazing to me how just listening to you and him talk, it's like y'all were finishing each other's sentences. Yeah. There were just things that. Yeah. You knew and listening, you go back and forth. And I know just listening to it, there were so many different emotions. It was, yeah. you know, you wanted to kill somebody. You wanted to hug somebody. Yeah. You wanted to. There were so many different things. Yeah, laugh, cry, whatever. Yeah. yeah and that yeah. must have been the same tornado yeah. internally for you. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I've learned is to not just to, is to not become what I resist. Yeah. And so that's why you'll never hear me snickering at a prison rape joke. Well, Bubba will take care of the pedophile. Look, if it's okay to rape the pedophile in prison, it's okay to rape the kid in there on a pot wrap. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how about if we make prisons lawful places? How about that as an if we got to put more, you know, more people than any, any other country in the world in prison, uh, could we at least make them lawful places? You know, make a place where you're safe 
from rape and gangs and, and whatever could we make it? And then maybe someone, some of the people in prison will learn, wow, the law protects me. Some The law can actually be okay. But instead, the law is this thing that's generally is unjust to them, and it put them, and they put them, you know, they went, and they know other people wouldn't have for what they did. Um, and then, you know, and then you get there, and it's the snickering about people being raped. Well, and when, it, when someone snickers about rape to me, it's man it's i just say yeah i don't know you i don't know if you notice i'm a rape survivor and it's never funny it's never funny and it's not ever permissible i abhor all rape and any rape that takes place should be brought to light and there should be justice but justice isn't more brutality you know proving to the rapist on on some level that they're you know well your mo is not okay in proper society but in prison it's okay to be brutal and rape well i i completely disagree with that and i'm not going to sit around and snicker with you and and also they want me to sign off on a death penalty for pedophiles and you know i'm i know that's easy but what that is is it's a sweep under the rug it's like well Killed them. Okay. See, I care. I helped kill them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not going to look into what, where they came from or what the story was. And, you know, most I would say, I don't know, but I would say I got pretty amazing anecdotal information. And, you know, most perpetrators I can kind of follow and track down were abused as kids. Most people who are abused do not become perpetrators. So, if, you right. know, so what we really need is for people to be more. Uh, well, they like well, they call me a, a hero for this movie, and I'm not a hero. I'm a, I'm a legend, but I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a hero, and, and and you know, because all I did was say what happened. But they also call every soldier a hero. Oh, you're a hero, and and then by calling them heroes, if you question the bad policies to send these kids into harm's way, they're sending them to Afghanistan. You know, they're fighting for your freedom in Afghanistan. Excuse me, if I'm dumb enough to leave my freedom lying around in Afghanistan, put me in handcuffs. My freedom is here, and I'm going to use it to speak up and say, don't send those poor kids to Afghanistan for no reason. Look up by Alexander the Great and the British Empire and the Soviets. Like nobody, it's the worst place in the world to play an away game. It's awful. But it, but in fairness, worse than Philly. <laughs> it's the nicest thing anyone said about knew, Philly in years. I knew this would come. I knew we would end up where at they, this place where they boo the Liberty Bell. Because <laughs> Barry saw my my act, and one of the things he pointed out was something I just talked about as a Philly for yeah, sports yeah, fan. Yeah. That was fun. But God. you t- you say you're not a, you're not a hero because. All you, but you, anyway, hero is a cover. It becomes a bit of a cover. So now, if I say something about the bad policy to send these kids to these wars, needlessly, mm-hmm. now what they turn it into is like you've gone after our heroes, you know. And it's like, no, yeah. I'm for them. And you know, it's uh, but what we have to do is have the courage to listen to them and let them talk because they'll say to these kids, well, they you're heroes, just like the World War II guys who were heroes who never talked about it. Basically, you can reduce that to shut up and we'll and we'll you know and we'll put some bunting on you, right. you know, <laughs> and some red, white, and blue bunting on you, right. and we'll all genuflect. But you know, the what we need to do is be brave enough to say hey, well i'm glad you're back i'm glad you, you're standing here is there anything i can do to help do you want to talk to me can i help form a, a place where you can talk to other vets whatever because the problem with this country it was would rather create veterans than care for them mm. and you know i think all military recruiting should be done on the top floor of 
of, of veterans hospitals. Mm-hmm. Make the kids walk through every floor and see see if that's as glamorous as the ad with the you know the shiny swords or the their you know video game thing that makes it seem like this is going to be fun mm-hmm. and learn about honor and duty and whatever and then come home and they call you a hero and you saw what really happened. You saw what other people did. You saw what you had to live with and what you carry with. Who didn't come back and you're living with all that stuff and then they go live a life of and then they call you a hero. You don't feel a lot of times they don't feel like a hero. It hurts them to be called heroes, but they don't want to buy. So what does the VA do? They put them on pharmaceutical dry eyes and keep, hope they keep their mouths shut forever. They do the same thing with abuse victims. They, you know, rather than have us talk it out, rather than people be out there blabbing like I am, they would much rather that I was just zoned out on some Prozac or something mm. being test pattern boy. I haven't had a boner in 15 years. You know, <laughs> like, well, you know, fortunately that's not the case. Well, that's one of the things, I mean, this country doesn't, doesn't, do well with nuance. It's, it's like right. you're either for the troops or you're against. Yeah. You can't have a, a criticism of Thus, something the two party and support system. It. So yeah. you've just got to get behind somebody and be completely dogmatic about it. And either or is not much of a choice. And no. by the way, the reason we don't have a third party is because corporations don't want to write a third check. Okay, <laughs> right. That, that buddy is behind all yeah, of that. Yeah. But you. But earlier you said that all you did was talk about what happened, but you did a little more than that because AOL. Yep. You, I, I want to fast forward to, to sure. that a little bit. You ended up going into chat rooms. AOL, well, I, well, what right? I did was originally I was looking for, you know, abuse survivors to talk to. Doing exactly what I was talking about, which veterans should do or whatever, is people to just talk, you know, get it up. And I start meeting these people on AOL, and they start telling me, well, you see what's going on in this other in these chat rooms. And so I... I looked around and I was looking at the public chat rooms and then I found the member created chat rooms. And it was anyone who just read the list of these names knew exactly what was going on. Dads and daughters, but you know, you know, XXXX kid picks, you know, I mean, hundreds of names like that with so many, you know, with, with like, you know, a couple hundred people in every one of these rooms and, and a couple hundred a lot of, yeah i mean like there were thousands and thousands of, and they're all now and and the modems are slow and they're uploading child pornography to one another and it's a half an hour to upload one crappy picture or an hour okay so that's four dollars a picture times every picture or, or two to four dollars a picture for every picture they're transmitting because it was like profit wood, wood, wood burnt they were profiteering like there is no tomorrow and playing it dumb with me when i first i approached them i go i don't know if you know what's going on on your service and then um, quickly i caught on that they were just stalling and i just said i'm coming in. i i call my shot i'm coming after you and i ended up testifying in front of the senate judiciary committee in washington in july of 95 uh and and they uh man they uh dinosaurs uh, technologically right oh yeah oh no and, uh, yeah, all, all, all the senators are bra- bragging about how they don't know what we're talking about no it's just like okay great you know right. that's that's exactly who i need could you bring someone in who could understand what i'm saying but so anyway you know the aol guy comes in and he takes me lightly which I think, if you saw the movie, oh yeah, you know, yeah I saw that part. Yeah, slick back hair, yeah, 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 thousand dollar yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm gonna yeah, wipe yeah, the floor with uh, this. Yeah, guy. yeah, and it's like, nah, I'm a nightclub comic. Yeah. I've dealt with hecklers before. Well, it's funny. But here's the thing: they gave him my testimony in advance. So someone in the U.S. Senate, involved with the U.S. Senator, said, "Hey." We got a donation from AOL, even though we've seen this story, and we know this guy is, is, is David and AOL's Goliath, and he, David is trying to protect children, 
against a serious danger, we're going to hand his... But the thing is, my testimony was just the letters I'd written to AOL that they didn't have a damn answer for in the first place. So I still was, you know, I mean, that was a... When you see him at the end where he says the three strikes and you're out thing... Oh, my goodness. He, he's he got that thousand-yard stare. That that was an hour of just like, no, no, uh-uh, right. no, I, no, I'm not going to let you say that. No, no, I'm not going to say... Here's what the story, you know, like, well, what about child protection? What about parental protection software? Well, you see, sometimes the parents are the rapists. Up until mm-hmm. that point, that can be fine. But if the parents are raping the kids, it kind of doesn't... You know, it's not a real effective device. Now, what you talk in real detail about some of the things you saw oh, well, in these chat rooms. Detail, and believe you, me. you said that, well, in some detail, you said you could see the humanity, the right, childhood, right, right. leaving. You see this picture, like, you can almost see, like, the, the law. I mean, I, there was a very famous picture of a, a, a very famous combat photo of a, of a Palestinian guy carrying his daughter who's limp, clearly dead, and you can kind of see he's still running, like, if I get her to the right place, maybe I can save her. But then you see the eyes and you realize, but it's soaking in that she's dead. And you can just see. Now, this is a guy who might strap a bomb to himself and walk into the village square. You know, you, you, you know, again, you go back to having context for people, you know, and figure out where they where they are. And I forgot the earlier part because I have a compartmentalized memory because you might have seen the movie. <laughs> oh, the AOL stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the same thing, the photos of the kids, you know, I. You see the kids, and the eyes are almost starting to roll into their head, and they're just—they're they're just as disassociated as they can be to survive because they can't—they can't deal with everything that's happening to them now. And what—what's going to happen if they're like me is what they are keeping themselves from feeling. Then they're gonna feel someday if they're lucky, and they do catch on that you're gonna go through things and not around them. And in my case. Basically, the way I put it is I wrestled every wolf man that knocked at the door for two years till they got tired of coming. And then I was able to get out and do some stuff on behalf of some other people. And that do you now do you rec- not necessarily recommend, but I always like, for example, when I when we talk about gun violence, I'm yeah. like, everybody should see a video of somebody's head being right. blown. Yeah. Off yeah. Before you say. Right. Everybody should have oh, a gun. Oh, oh, well, you know, I understand. Well, the, what I say about child pornography is I wish everyone could see it. I wish no one could see it. But there's nothing to snicker about. You know, you shouldn't call it kitty porn. That sounds like the bunny hill or something. That might fit on, a, yeah, fit on a tabloid headline. But it's, you know, kitty porn is like, that's like, you know, that's glossing it way too. You know, what it is is photographic evidence of heinous child, heinous human rights offenses against children is what it is. And and if you've seen it, and I have, you know, you're not the same. You know, it's 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 hard to see. But people in the movie, they're very nice, and they're saying, "Oh, we're so worried about Barry doing that investigation." Whatever. So you would have had a You know, when you should have worried about me is if I didn't do it. If I just stumbled into that one. Oh, I can't. Oh, let that go. You know. Then I got to walk away and live with myself while I know what was going on there. You know. No. I mean, I I would rather live with the world's risk, the world's disdain, than be guaranteed of my own self-loathing. I'll tell you that. So I couldn't know about what was going on there and not stop and stop stop before something was done about it. stop until other people caught on stop until people understood that this new, that they'd found this new channel for you know this new method of uh, it was really scary because you know pedophiles never used to have like support group kind of thing now you can go into a chat room and you got a bunch of people and they're all you're watching them fortify one another with these asinine 
rationalizations that NAMBLA take. Well, you know, the, the kids are really, they're really in charge. They have the power here. That's what they, yeah, I mean, literally, that's because, you know, NAMBLA publishes, North American Man Boy Love mm-hmm. Association publishes, publishes this, this journal or did. And I, so I studied it. Now, of course, while I'm doing that, you know, I'm studying and I'm reading their their you know philosophy quote unquote their horseshit and and of course i've got six copies of it on my my dining room table and now the cable guy shows up and you go oh, now no, you you wonder i know really you don't understand you sound like every other asshole in the world who gets caught going like oh i was doing an investigation but i know i actually was doing an investigation you know now we can prove it but i mean but the but the quote unquote they call it a philosophy but basically it's just oh it's the child's idea it's like you know, mm-hmm. shut up now the great irony here though and it, this struck me when watching the film too you're sitting there in front of the senate judiciary committee a an entity as a whole the government yeah. you largely despise yeah oh i know i'm <laughs> sitting there i'm talking about something you shit on these guys for a living there they are strom thurmond there you are because they're concerning children and children and the young people at tomorrow and Thurman, and I'm trying not to laugh because you know, I mean, I'm it's so serious what I'm doing. But the, you know, like Thurman doesn't have AIDS; he has like spotters. Watch the hip, you know, because the hip goes, he's done, and they lose, a, they could lose a vote. So yeah, he he important, and everyone one after the next just bragged about, oh, I'm what you might call computer <laughs> illiterate, and they laugh at the term. Like like even in 1995, it was a trite term, and and only in, with computers that people I'm computer like I don't need to know how to you know repair a micro oven to heat up a cup of coffee you know right. i mean you know like if the computer where if it doesn't work it's you know okay some help or whatever but i mean i i use max i don't want to promote them although this week maybe uh, <laughs> 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 you know because it's, we got to get to the bottom of what this nut in san bernardino was saying you know i got a pretty good picture you know and right. i if you can't flesh that one out you're in the wrong uh business officer you know <laughs> But even that was, I mean, even the senators laughing and stuff. It's like, how do you have that kind of levity with the backdrop of why we're here? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, really the backdrop, and people forget this, but the real backdrop of why we were there was because uh, they were concerned about, like, 16-year-old boys seeing the Playmate of the Month. Not, and I got there, and I go, you would have heard the word child, and you would have heard the word pornography, but you wouldn't have heard them in a row Mm. until I got there. And so that's, but that became what the hearing was. That's what that for. was about. And you came yeah, in and I just go like, and brought that to well, it. No, well, they knew about that part too. I mean, they go, well, this guy says this is going on. And they were sort of like, maybe it would be interesting to bring him in. And it's like suddenly like everybody got the like insto perspective. Oh, kids are being raped. And it's not oh. like, it's not like a 16 year old boy interested in right. breasts. While you know? AOL is talking about a three strikes policy. Yeah, I couldn't oh, believe oh, oh, that. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. like, that can't be. Yeah, no, that way at that moment when he said that, it was just like, dundo. I wanted kettle drums. Dundo and dundo and dundo and la la, marching in place, singing Gordon McRae songs. This is my country. Dundo and dundo and dundo and la la. There you go. This is who I've been dealing with for the past several months. Yes, a strict three strikes in your out policy concerning the rape of children. Well, Good you, you God. won't find any four time child rapists on our service. Not on our service. No, and you can trust us at that. No four-time child rapists that we have caught, anyway. Oh, my goodness. 
dun 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 dun. Could you feel that that's where it kind of turned? And that's yeah. Oh, that was the end. Was that it? Yeah. He yeah. had. It was like then it turned into the cartoon. He had like axes over his yeah. eyes and and his whole his clothes were all blown up, just shreds. Oh, because I, I used to like work at cartoon. a I used to work at a major firm, so I know what it looks like when a lawyer knows he's losing. Yeah. And I saw that. I'm like, oh, okay. This is it's over. This is the shift. He's yeah, not that guy. That. That, that guy doesn't. That guy doesn't practice law anymore. No. No. Nah, I'd like to think I helped. <laughs> <laughs> I, think you, I think you did too. So, talk. Could you talk a little bit about? The and I'm role? kind enough not to mention his name. I know. Uh, oh well. Could you uh, talk a little bit about your sister? And because you, yeah. she, she, they talk about her in the movie and how she discovered. Yeah. What was happening? Yeah. She walked. She 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 came in the house. She'd been outside playing, and she came in the house, and, and she couldn't she couldn't find. Then she heard some noise from the basement, and she opened the door and came down the stairs and saw me, you know, getting. Uh, raped by this guy and uh, I was close to going I mean like the thing with this thing was like to keep me quiet I would get my face shoved into the couch cushion and I was passing out so I mean this person every time they did it was risking murdering me that's how crazy somebody said that's how dangerous so and that's why I say call me lucky I lived and I could tell the story and and, and I can stand up for other people I'm going to talk about some people who didn't live Um, but my sister saw that and she realized she had to get help from me. She got almost to the bottom of the stairs, and she didn't exactly know what this was, but she runs for the top of the stairs, and the and the the, the rapist signals the babysitter to get her. She just that's the thing that stayed in my mind my whole life was Mary Jo getting her foot caught in this hand of this babysitter, almost at the top of the stairs, pulled her back down, and then she was taken off, and I didn't I didn't hear it. But because of that, and then they took. Mary Jo and put her in a room and whatever. And then when my parents came home, they told her Mary Jo was very bad. She's just crazy and uh, and 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 you know and it sort of worked. Uh, but my but my parents, you know, said, well, we're not going to get that babysitter again. I don't know what was going. on. We're not getting that babysitter anymore. So that was the end. They no longer had access. And that very well may have said that in and of itself may have saved my life. And Mary Jo's had to live with it, as I say in the movie. You know, it's a profound offense against her. It's a profound offense for someone to witness this. Right. You know, so. Uh, so did folks at the time just not think of going to the well, police? Well, they didn't know. Was... And they didn't know. I mean, they still didn't know. You know, I mean, people, it was so out of the realm of anything anyone would think about or discuss. You know, I think my old man would have gone to the police in a heartbeat had he realized because sometimes later in, in my childhood, he warned me about, you know, if you get a weird coach or something, you can always, you know, like he, he actually is probably ahead of the time, so that stuff, but he had seatbelts in the cars in the 50s, which the kind you strap on that were actually more dangerous than not having them on. It only takes six minutes to take this seatbelt off. <clears throat> so he was, but he's a war guy. And we, I mean, he had PTSD from the war, so we kind of grew up together with PTSD. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and a, a decorated combat vet, you know. Um, I'm sorry. What did I no, no. What I was so, talking. So, then the, <laughs> oh, so, then. so Mary Jo. So Mary Jo saved. I mean, she saved my life. And and we've always. And the, the thing about her is, my whole life, she's always sort of, even to this day, she kind of hovers around. She'll be at my house, and I'll be, you know, walking out you know, outside, and you know, I'll, and I'll watch for it, like, because I won't let her know I'm going to go do something with the chainsaw or something, you know, because because she'll just have this. She won't do anything, but she'll have this panicked look on her face, because. You know, I mean, you know, she she saved my life once. She probably, you know, 
it's the Native American thing. She feels responsible for me now. And she was at she was five years old at the time, right? She was actually a little older, a little than, older that, than that. But but uh, you were four, correct? Yeah, and yeah. Here's the thing: they were, you know, she was probably she might have been six or seven. But the, the thing is, uh, another witness came forward who wouldn't have been there when I was quite that young. And, and, and her corroborating points were like, clearly she knew the story, whatever, but the idea of even getting into those details anymore is to me, just like that, that prove it part of it. It's just like, look, it happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and small children's memories, guessing what age everybody, like everybody asked me how old the perpetrator was. I don't know when you're four, he's, he was a big guy, you know, right. everybody's a big, I mean, I, you know, I was, I don't know. I made eye contact with his knees. What do you want? Right. So, uh, but she, you know, she was, she stood right up with my parents. And even though that, and she just said they were mean to Barry, you know, they were hurting yeah. Barry. And, and, uh, um, and, 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 you know, and then you, then you go back and you're dealing with these accomplished liars. Pedophiles are the biggest con artists in the world. They're the biggest con artists. They're, I'm repeating myself. Now I'm turning into Donald Trump. I'm turning into Donald Trump. I'm saying everything twice. I'm saying everything twice. I mean, it was great. It was great. I'm Because I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to say. So if I say it twice, if I say it twice, I eat up a little more time. I eat up a little more time, and then I can get away from here, and then I can get away from here and just leave words like unbelievable and just leave words like unbelievable with you, with you, and so that you think you actually saw somebody you think you actually saw somebody say something say something it's a magic trick that's my donald trump <laughs> not close in in one way but i've got his i got his scam now. <laughs> now that that guy ended up dying in prison correct yeah, yeah he died in prison and and what i wanted to do i tried to find out from new york state what happened eventually we did mm-hmm. he was he died in prison in uh, new york and no one claimed his body and then someone, some friendly person within the state of New York got me the file and whatever, and this guy had been uh, he'd taken out of an abusive home, you know, older than me, you know, and, and way older than me, and and then went through the foster system, abused again and again, and so that, and so that was the gift of that system to me. And so I wanted to find the guy's grave to put flowers on it, not out of love for that guy, but to show that I didn't become him. You know, here I am. I'm not going to piss on your grave. Here's some flowers. I didn't become you. Call me lucky. Wow. Now that the amazing, the, the part of it that I was watching, because you talk about the Catholic priest. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And you talk about, but you talk in the movie about him like wishing he would burn in hell. Well, you and, know, then, that, and then you talk day. about flowers no, in but, relation. But, no, but that day, but that day, but you understand that they're shooting a bunch of different stuff. And that okay. day, I was very emotional because I'm looking at that church and I'm thinking about mm. dead friends committed suicide because of this priest. Uh, and so, you know, I was pissed and I said it, but uh, whatever. And, and it also was a little play with the you know the the threats the church is based on fear and real estate you know basically and and so uh it was sort of about you know you're you're the ones who sold me hell or whatever well if there is one i hope they triple the time of it for now you know and uh, but that guy was so evil what was he doing he what was were some the, of the things he was doing because you talk well, well this guy okay first off i i live near the church and it snowed all the time and in, in upstate New York, a lot, you know, like 
That's where the accent comes from. 193 inches of snow. I just sat in my house and work on my alcoholism until I can get the door open again. You know, so that's there's you know upstate New York. All we have are prisons and Walmart's. You know, that's how you give directions. The third medium security woman's facility on your right, and then the fifth superstore. You go down right through the lights there, and I'll meet you at the scene of the total economic collapse. But one thing, I was, as dumb as we are, we did get rid of the Mormons almost immediately. <laughs> Let me get this straight. No beers and extra wives? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. <laughs> so you, so yeah, you, you, keep you, me on the case, you, counselor. You even, you, but you, I mean, you talked about how this guy would tell kids about the sacrament. Oh, oh, oh yeah. No, yeah. Let me tell you about Mary. Yeah, uh, of course. And, and that's when this stuff goes to say, I always drift off. What was I talking about? It's a compartmentalized memory. It's a very natural thing that happens to you. But um, Mary, so I got stuck serving mass all the time. And then the kind of the word got out on Mary, but my, I don't know, for whatever reasons, my parents, you know, just to, every, every week, the, uh, the, Phone would ring on Monday. I mean, I was scheduled for a week of masses, early morning masses, weekday masses. I would be scheduled as an altar boy one a month. And then every other, uh, the other three weeks, the phone would ring at 5.15 on Monday morning. Oh, the Riley boys have the flu. and they can't. Can Barry serve this? We might as well just have him do the, oh. My, and, of course, I'd hear my mother going, fine. And I was like, get up. And they, you know, and then I go. <laughs> and, and so I serve mass almost every day. Because everybody's making excuses not to go near this monster. But I, I, you know, and I was, a, you know, I'm not a quitter. That's one thing. I mean, ask AOL, you know. <laughs> um, I'm not a quitter. So, uh, yeah, ask Philip Morris. But anyway, um, so I, uh, I worked so hard, you know, serving mass and being a good boy, you know, shoveling the walk. Doing you know, and every morning this guy Nary, well, first off, the first couple of times I dealt with him, he started giving me the shoulder rub, and I just hit him, and I realized now I hit him with an elbow, and I just realized now that it was, it was just me saying, "You got to kill me this time, motherfucker! You got to kill me! You got to kill me before I, now I'm ten or eleven years old. You got to kill! I mean, it's going to be a fight of some sort. You know, I'll, I'll take a chunk out of you at this point. Yeah. But that's even still subconscious. But I just knew nobody else is doing that to me. So. He tried it a couple of times, tried to get me in his car a couple of times, failed. Then he's frustrated. So now, now every day I'm there, the pond isn't stuck. So he hates me. So I would arrive and he'd be sitting in the sacristy bathed in the, the colored light coming through the stained glass window. And he would just say something malicious to me and I would go out and do Then we go out on the altar and he would just belittle me. And he literally would on a regular basis tell the, the, the assembled people, that I was going to hell, uh, you know, he, but he couldn't drive me off. So finally wow. years pass and, and I'm watching the, the news from New York and now Dolan, the guy from Milwaukee has moved to New York and it's Palm Sunday and he decides it's time to tell the audience that the real victim of this, this whole abuse scandal it's the poor Pope, Pope Benedict, Ratzinger. You know, that what has happened to this saintly man? The guy to whom for 20 years they brought the diplomatic, diplomatic pouches because the church has diplomatic 
immunity because it's considered a nation because of the deal they made with ding, 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 Mussolini. Okay, <laughs> just another thing the fascists brought us, the Catholic Church. Is a, and so, you know, and he obviously he became Pope because he just said, well, I've been able to keep a lid on this for this long, but if a new guy comes in, I don't, hey, how about if we make you, well, you know, that could work. Then he got too pooped to Pope and they brought in the guy whose job it is to change the subject and not the church whose who's PR guy is a guy named Greg Burke, who's a member of Opus Dei and a, and, and a former Fox, the, the former Fox News correspondent to the Vatican. And this is selling us the progressive Pope who sent his emissaries to uh, Geneva to tell a U.N. hearing that child rape isn't torture. And then he went on to tell us how courageous the Catholic bishops in the United States have been about the abuse crisis. I'm sorry, I've lost my train. That's no, all, no, no. So now we're going back to Neri. So... So that so you know, Dolan says all oh, the poor pope, and, and then they come out and the congregation says, I mean, you know, they start interviewing a bunch of people. From, it's about times, and it's it's that sort of warbly, you know, emotionally manipulative Catholic ladies, you know, in a Catholic, uh, you know, uh, holy name society, warbly voice meant to manipulate you, and you hear a lot of it around Boston and New York, and they, they sound kind of like this, and it's like, well, you know, the poor church, and uh, oh, the Pope, it's about time someone stuck up for the poor Pope, and I'm so glad to hear that, and I'm thinking, these are the same kind of people who sat there and watched this guy emotionally abuse and verbally abused me on an altar every morning and didn't do a thing about it in the process emboldening him to, to commit acts that led to suicides of my friends at that point from that point on and that's when you know that's exactly what i was thinking when i said you know three sentences of eternity right scenario, you know and uh but he would rape kids and make them say confession afterwards yeah which is just another obvious way to make the kid feel complicit. Uh, but then the Bishop of Syracuse, in a hearing from my friend Dennis Brennan's case, and, uh, against Neri, and it was it started with Neri, and then the church misled him. Oh, we want to put you a treatment and whatever. And basically, the way I understand it was, you know, they sent him to therapists who were just completely spies for the church and whatever, and they they really did a number on him, and he sued him on that stuff, and I mean, and they wanted to settle because, among other things, I was on the list. Of, oh, they saw <laughs> they that, saw right? I was coming, <laughs> uh, and this guy Charlie Bailey. So he's got to quit. <laughs> so, so he, uh, so, so uh, this guy says in Dennis's in one of the pretrial hearings, he says. Well, you know, you have to consider there's some culpability on the boy's part. Otherwise, they wouldn't have said the holy sacrament of confession. No one in the world bought Neri's cheap out except for the sitting bishop Cunningham of Syracuse, the diocese of Syracuse, who should be sent, who should get the Cardinal Law Memorial Scholarship to the Vatican and stay there, you know, if uh, if not put in jail. So... Uh, uh, and and what he would do is he would he would orally rape a boy, and say you have to swallow every drop, because I'm God's I'm God's emissary on earth, and and 
and and so my seed is sacred like the Eucharist. Oh my goodness. Don't spill any on the ground. That's how evil he was. And then he would anally rape a boy and pray very loudly because often the mother would be downstairs. He would go, well, we're going to go up to his bedroom. This is where he's going to spend his time. If he has a vocation for the priesthood, we're going to go over some stuff. And it's very tough. You may hear some stuff that sounds awful, but that's what he has to go through if he truly has a vocation. Oh but goodness. you stay down here and say the rosary while I do that. And then on the way out the door... Fucking take 10 or $20 from the lady for the instructions, okay? So he can mm. go out and get hammered that night, and then I'm facing the hungover rapist in the morning with the malevolent stare, and then the people in the, you know, the church don't stick up for me at all until finally one guy did stick up for me, but well, not in the church or not with the church, but he just said, I'm a terrible Catholic. I've watched this go on for years. It was Mr. Talbot. He ran the... Uh, the uh, five and ten store in my town, and he and then he goes down to tell my parents what happened, and then after that it was sort of, <coughs> you know, I hadn't, I just figured because I was a self-loathing, because kids, kids who are untreated victims of abuse become self-loathing, and it can happen to entire communities, it can happen to it's nations, cities, you know, um, and uh, I, you know, you feel terrible. No one tells you that what happened to you is wrong. And that you're in somebody else, some pain that's not really yours. And so you start off by thinking something's wrong, and then you switch and you go to the point where you think something's wrong with me. Mm. And now the self, now your you, bad behavior or whatever just corroborates the self-loathing, and it's down the down the chute we we go. And so uh, it's like that movie Goodwill Hunting, almost at yeah. the end, where Robin Williams tells, uh, I think it's Matt Damon, yeah, yeah, it's not your fault. Yeah, and he keeps saying that to him. Yeah, and at the time, I you know I'm just watching a movie, but now learning more and hearing from yeah, you, yeah. I understand that that is a breakthrough in a way for a person. Yeah, that's been it's not this your fault. To yeah, and, and Robin, put, imagine that Robin. I think Robin heard that line because he he put down the original money to make Call Me Lucky. So wow, yeah, I didn't know that really. Yeah, yeah, it's Bob's best friend. I mean, while we were, I mean, we did the movie in under Bob did the movie in under a year. We were from we started in February with Sundance in January, and in between we got hit with the comet of Robin's death, which was emphatically explicable. And everybody else had all these other agendas, and they put into it. And and you know, I was disgusted how many of my contemporaries talked to the media about stuff that was just conjecture and crap. They called me up because they knew I'm close to Bob, and you know, they some people knew. Robin had something to do with the movie, and I knew Robin since 77. And when they called me up to ask about it, I said, I have, I have one thing to say, and it's off the record. No comment. <laughs> Don't you want something about you saying about Robin? And You know, I think if they, you know, there's plenty of superlative things to say about Robin. They don't need me to do it. You know, they don't need me to do it. I don't need to horn in now. You know, it's this is, this is bad enough, you know, without me trying to, you know, I... You know, I gained enough by knowing the guy. I don't need to. Right. Know, I don't need to do this. Milk is noble corpse. But but what what happened there was just it was medical. His brain was attacked. Right. You know, and perhaps the the medication they used exacerbated things. And you know, we understand that now. Uh, and they basically the you know, the autopsy and whatever said that and all these people and it came out between when he died and then the autopsy came out and then the year in review thing came in and the year in review it all reverted back to everybody's theory in August rather than what the what the coroner said a while later. I mean it's just 
It we was, do a terrible job I, I, of discussing I, I, mental health. And, yeah. And, and well, and I mean, in this case, it was like literally like he got brain fever for for all intents and purposes. But Bob went through that, and the one thing I knew, Bob kept went through that, and the one thing I knew was. I hoped, and I sort of knew, was he is such a hard worker. He works so hard. He is the quintessential independent filmmaker because when he makes a film, he gets the money together himself. Studios want him to do stuff because he's such a good director. He wants the autonomy. He wants his vision realized, and so he sticks to it. And he works so extra hard because not only is he making the film, but he's making the money to make the film. So he's directing TV shows. He's he's touring. He's doing whatever. The guy goes round the clock. He works so hard for his autonomy, for his art. I'm so uh, I'm I'm you know so so proud uh, to know him. But you know, in the middle of that. The process with our film, Robin died, and we believe me, Bob was telling me Bob was in close touch with the family because it was like pretty quickly Robin just went from being Robin to not being Robin, and and so uh, uh, you know Bob was getting updated all the time and talking to Robin and remaining in touch with him as much as he could, and really worried and still making the film, like that was really. You know, like right when my sister was interviewed was about a week before, and 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 the day uh, he interviewed Cindy Sheehan in uh, in L.A. was the day that it happened. Wow! And, and I wasn't out there that day, and Bob sent me a, a text, and I knew that this had happened, and knowing what's going to happen with this cult of personality, so knowing this like wall of this dam of shit was going to burst and splatter all over everybody, it was a, it was a very well, first off, I mean, it would it would have felt weirder or, and worse if I hadn't already, you know, been going into my own grief. But it's uh, he, but Bob got up from that. I, I, I and I just knew how hard he works. I figured the one lifeline he would find would be get and damned if he didn't have that movie ready for Sunda- Sundance. Wow! And damned if he didn't put a movie together that was accepted as Sundance as one of the sixteen documentaries in consideration. Wow. But our movie isn't like Spotlight or some of these other films about you. Spotlight is the the movie that's it's a great movie. But it's like the movie about South Africa where the white people are catching on. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> Spotlight is in the townships, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, when they first approached you about doing this, were you immediately on board yes, or was yeah, there? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Bob and the Robin backup, sure. They're and, not going to do anything. And then the final scene or one of the final scenes of the movie, you go down. Yeah, in the basement. Into the basement. Oh, and, that's, and they torture Goldthwait about that. You know, like like he had a cattle prod on me, and I said, I'm not going to come here and walk up to that door and turn around and give it that kind of power. I thought about this place forever, so I walk into the base. But it was Bob argued with Bob's going, don't do it. Every time it was a choice between what he thought was my well-being and the film and what would be easier, make a, make the film stronger – Bob always sided with me, and I generally sided with the film. But so I went in, and I'm glad that I did. And I think it's a very it became a very powerful scene in the film. But Bob is taking, you know, we do these film festivals. People, are like, oh, why did you make them? No, I didn't. I didn't want. I just wanted to shoot the space, you know. I said, and then one night in Brooklyn, he goes, I didn't want to react, reenact anything. And I said, you didn't want to reenact anything, <laughs> you, right? What about me? <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I said, you know, you, you don't build shrines to demons, and 
And, you know, that guy didn't imbue the cinder blocks in that basement with evil that will be released. And I knew kids had been down there since and played, and kids would come down into that space and play. And I wanted to come and just say, oh, I take the onus off it. This place is fine. I hope kids have a great time here. And if anything, you know, I mean, I sort of hope, like, I hope my good spirit remains here and, and not this sick, damaged, you know, crazy person who lived a terrible life and ended up dying alone in prison. So even though there's a long way to go in your comedy career, long <laughs> yeah. way to go. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, I got to get to Wilmington Friday. <laughs> <laughs> what would you? What what seems pretty long. <laughs> what would you say is your legacy, or what do you want it to be in terms of comedy? Uh, you know, he was brave enough to be kind and pretty fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you feel like since you? you know, have discussed these things publicly, it's changed you as a comedian? Well, I don't think about what happens to me. As, I mean, a comedian... Because other people talk about, well, oh, he was bitter before, and now it's well, a little that's, different. You know, that's that. a little it's a little simplistic. First off, I was... Some of that stuff early on is the first three years or four years I'm doing, you know, regular... And I well, didn't there like was a, a bitterness. I don't want to say... Yeah, 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 it yeah. Was, yeah. Well, no, I had to deal with it. You got, but I went through it and not around it. But I mean, a lot of what annoyed me was there's a lot of cruelty and stuff that people didn't realize that. Sometimes I'd be mad at how someone was treating someone else. You know, they wouldn't realize. Oh, I'm I'm in a position to be cruel to you, and I'm not. And but I saw you treat this. It's like it's like if I see somebody who's kissing my ass and then they're nasty to an intern. It doesn't matter. You did it to me, as far as I'm concerned. That's that's how I am. So some of that attitude at times was just that. I. I've been an empath my whole life, and I immediately, whoever's getting the shit is who I look at and who sets off the tuning fork. This is who you are. Yeah, yeah. And so so I'm myself for a living. And myself, I think I've gotten healed. You know, I think I've I've gotten healed, and and I feel better because I've figured out that pain I was in, and I don't behave in a fashion sometimes to corroborate my self-loathing because I don't have the self-loathing anymore. And so I'm very fortunate. So then I get to do see others help others at points I've been at and realize what kind of progress I made and, and feel so lucky about that and you know, so fortunate about that. And so, you know, I've changed as a man probably. And, and, and it certainly reflected on stage because I, you know, I mean, I'm calmer and I, whatever. And for whatever reasons, I don't, you know, I don't uh, famous last words before tonight's show, but I, they don't. I don't have problems with. Them. I mean, they basically, or if there's a little problem, I just slough it off quickly, and you know, maybe a quick stern look or something. You used but, to hammer hecklers. Yeah, I know. Well, and and by it. by the way, we didn't have the footage of the real funny stuff because I, I tried to ignore you. I figure I wait long enough, the batteries on any dildo would wear out. <laughs> I mean, and then, then the, there was this long one. It's like you know, I got the same question everybody else has. Why would someone like you want to draw attention to yourself? How did you even get out tonight? You know, is there like a chain broke? He got away again. Damn it. You were supposed to be washing him. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of fun at uh, uh, sometimes. But, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, I, I never, the reason there wasn't a lot of footage of me performing was because I was the producer. Mm-hmm. And when there would be cameras around, I didn't want to, oh, put somebody else on because it would just seem like, I, oh, he's in everything. Cause, and so I was in almost nothing. That was my approach to it. And, yeah. <clears throat> and I end up being the guy who they needed the footage of for the actual Hollywood motion picture. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> now, how did that performance style come about? Were you always like that? Because you'd walk on the stage and be like, thanks, everybody. Yeah, great to be here. And then you. Yeah, yeah. Were you. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is. It's just, it, well, I mean, that to me is taking the stage, and it's something that's lost with so many comics these days. It's like, mm. you don't walk out and go, hey, how you doing? What? That's a platinum moment. You get introduced. They say you're the funny guy. Well, walk out and be funny. I mean, now I get sort of a response because people know me, and I got to kind of weather that, but, but I've got that bonus from that too. But if they don't really know you, and you go out and you get introduced as this funny guy, the first thing you say, say something pithy and funny. Bang, nail it. Hit him. And that's platinum. That's platinum. Now you own them that much. If you come out and meander, hey, what do you ask them a rhetorical question? How are you guys? Because when you ask how are you doing to 300 people, it's a rhetorical. It's like new, there's this famous footage of Newt Rockney giving a speech where he goes, Today's the day we're going to win. We got to win. What do you say, boys? And there's 60 football players that, that all answer, so, Galibola, you hear in the <laughs> And so if you want to turn the audience into Galibola, don't walk out and do a joke. Walk out and go, How are you doing? Uh, you know, like, it, it just go out and take the stage. And I always took the stage. I always had something strong to open with, to, to, to corroborate whatever they said about me before I walked out there, to be that guy. And then, and then there's this relief that goes, oh, we are seeing the right person. You know, and, and it's easy. I mean, I mean, if you're not good enough to have one strong, short joke, if you can't put one of those together. Right. Know, yeah. But sometimes, it, for some comics at least that I've talked to, it's not always about the material, but just the level of comfort it takes. And maybe that comes with time yeah. to come out and just say, boom. You know, like, because there's 300 people that you've never seen. And some people struggle to get that level of... I'm telling you, it's the easiest path to the comfort is to get them on your side. And you get them on your side by doing a joke. You're a fucking comic. Tell me something funny. Go out there and do a fucking joke. Bang. Good evening, Bang! Yeah, I'm funny. And if better yet, do a joke about some common circumstance. They'll, wow, this guy's going through the same thing we're going through, but he came up with the funniest line about a bang, and he got, you know, and that's, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've done it, but, I mean, I get away with a lot of shit because I'm funny up front, and they go, oh, he's funny, and then suddenly I'm talking about gun control, and they're like, well, you know, for those of you, I'm a proponent of gun control. For those of you in the NRA, proponent means I'm in favor. Um, <laughs> Well, we need hunters need automatic weapons because deer attack in waves. <laughs> so that so then for for the people listening, yeah. Uh, for the people listening that have been through, uh, yeah, similar childhood sure. trauma, uh, or various traumas, or, or various adults, traumas, you know. Uh, right. What yeah. do you What do you say to them? I say you have to go through things and not around them. You have to sort it out. You're not, you know. Uh, stop blaming yourself. Stop hating yourself as an answer to what's what. And then kind of projecting that hatred on others. That's because at that point, you can become abusive. So you don't want to be abusive by just being miserable all the time. You can be happy. You can come around. And you can hang. I'll, I'll tell you what, some of my best friends, you saw me with one of them the other night. You know, I've been through this. And, and, and you do. It is shorthand, you, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is a community there and it's growing. And also it's kind of hip to be part of this thing because we are in the nascent stages of a, a very important human rights movement, the children's rights and safety movement. That's what we need. because You know, you can't hate anybody till you hate yourself. And so if we can teach children to tr trust, when people go crazy is when their heart and their mind aren't aligned. 
Their heart's telling them one thing, their brain's telling them the other, and then there's this conflict. Now the conflict becomes inner. Well, your brain doesn't like your heart. Your heart doesn't. The brain says, Jesus, just shut up. The heart goes, no, come on. Others will be hurt. You know, and you've got to, you know, like, so you got to get the heart and the mind together. When you do that, that's what you call sanity. And that's and that's when you get to come to a place where you can be loving and hopeful, and and then people give you credit for being brave for just be, having a habit of telling at least what you think to be the truth. Now, are there any resources that you, you know, would... well, there's MaleSurvivor.org for male stuff. There, there, there's a lot. Of, you know, I don't have them all. But if you if you contact me through barrycrimmins.com, there's an email thing there, or, or find me on Twitter at Crimmins, C-R-I-M-M-I-N-S, or Facebook or whatever. Everybody's a little different, and, and I, I got a, there's a whole bunch. If you're dealing with the priests uh, with the clergy abuse, SNAP is a wonderful organization, uh, and uh, Cause you know, there's a lot of them. Because I wanted us to, you know— on our site or wherever to put some resources down, but I'm like, okay. is there anybody? Barry says, hold on, don't don't no, call these. No, 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 yeah, people. yeah, no, I, I, okay. n- no, not particularly. But I, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I really haven't even since the movie mm-hmm. and touring and whatever. I haven't had time to really put. I've, I got to put together sort of that next phase of my stuff. People wanted me to form an organization. It's like, you know, like. You know, everybody calls me. They call me a communist. A lot. It's like I'm not a communist. I can't. I could never take the meetings. You know, <laughs> like I can't stand meetings. You know, I I can't stand meetings. So, but Snap and uh, is really good. And uh, MailSurvivor.org is really good. And that's who I've been dealing with a lot, sort of directly recently. But there's I, I'm forgetting the name of the place. There's, well, there's some great places for yeah. women. And matter of fact, if women who have survived abuse uh and and dealt with the great organizations from and of course there's organizations that that you know that should be integrated i i i understand why we need to go off on our own groups and sort of caucus for a while <laughs> but then we got you know to to, to to paraphrase someone using a different word you know integration today integration tomorrow integration forever we need to be together which is why a lot of times when i play a lot of places i have a musician open for me mm. same idea so what do you think is and and I'll you know wrap up here in a second but what what do you think the role of an artist is because you've used your artistry to to speak from an honest place and talk yeah. about things that matter to you do you think that's the role of an artist or comedian or you know if people want to come up and talk about hickory dickory dock and make well, people yeah, laugh yeah I, I you know I have I'm way see because of the nature of my act people think I'm way more judgmental of other acts than I ever have been I, outside of expecting people to be original and and not cruel, not be on the side of the bullies, which happens way too much in comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then I, it's just my choice to not particularly have it be my cup of tea. I'm not going to go on crusade against anybody or anything, but it's just like, you know, you're a bully and you got to turn, you had an audience, you got a lynch mob now, congratulations. But, um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, as far as what an artist should do, I, who am I to say? But I, I mean, I guess they should find their way and 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 be able to be themselves for a living and express themselves for a living. What a great thing. I mean, really, for 43 years now, I've been able to wake up in the morning and just pretty much decide what I'm going to do or know that next week I'll have agreed to do this or that. But generally, I wake up in the morning and, I, you know, well, where's my, hey, brain, where do you want to go today? Look at this. You know, <laughs> let's go over here. Let's read this book. You know, whatever. I'm so, what a, what a, so, 
the idea that I would ever walk on stage and be condescending with an audience for not knowing about the stuff I know about, they're in rush hour traffic every day. And they're, and they're, by the way, that's what where the right wing really is strong because yeah. you, when do you hate everybody? When you're in traffic? When do you listen to Rush Limbaugh when you're in traffic? Well, what a coincidence, huh? <laughs> everybody <laughs> sucks. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, you know, it's just like, hey, you suck. That, that, that is how hate radio works. That's how it works. You know, you're in a traffic jam. Everybody does suck. You just came from your whole day at your office. We're in your cubicle and you're sure everybody else is going to fuck you over. I mean, and that's, and then you could turn, oh, let Sean Hannity will explain you why to be completely paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) Then you can go home and watch Bill O'Reilly and hate yourself. But in fairness, though, Bear, there is a little condescension. And look, folks, there's three branches of government. There's a smidge of condescension in that. It was part of the joke was on me. Part of the joke was on me, though, just discussing my desperate circumstances. You want to hear me talk about, you know, like, you know, airline peanuts and I'm just... I, women going into the bathroom in pairs, and I'm like, hey, you know, there's death squads operating in our name in Central America. What? It's Friday night. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, when you're in the Central Time Zone, what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> so I've been run straight to the Illinois line a couple of times. That's another story. <laughs> so to play fi- a place named Crackers is just a warning. <laughs> <laughs> so the final final question I'll, I'll try to get to yeah. here is what we talked about your legacy as a comedian and everything else. What about what do you hope people remember about you as a human being? You know, nice guy. You know, and if he if he could help, he did. That's all. You know, nice guy. If he could help, he did. And and. And uh, and had a lot more of a sense of humor about himself than probably you might realize because of the serious stuff I sometimes take on. But I mean, believe me, if I if I wasn't the the brunt of a lot of these jokes, I wouldn't make it through. <laughs> you know, it's, and that's not self-loathing. That's just fun. That's letting steam off. But nice guy. And you know what? A really good friend. That's what I like to say because I say friends are my drug of choice, and I got a lot of really good friends, and I made a couple new ones today. 